Certainly one of my number one songs. That's uh, The Choice of the JSB Crew seems absolutely appropriate as our very first big, fat, juicy quarter past seven of those those first words of the song, See the Nation Through the People's Eyes. Support the children and not the guns, no matter whose children or whose guns, as Naomi Klein says. Quarter past seven, and we are cracking into our first story. Now, many of us, uh, when we think of wildlife, we always think that the hyena and the vulture are those uh, ugly creatures, and we have such a negative approach to them. And yet they are the cleaners of the world, and they do a whole lot to make the ecosystem something very, very different. Now, the first phase of a project to secure wild vulture populations in southern Africa has been successfully completed. 160 Cape and African whiteback vultures were resettled in a new home up at Shamwari Private Game Lodge. How do they do it, and how does one do it? How do you resettle and relocate and rewild a um, a vulture. Well, Dr. Johan Joubert is a vet and head of wildlife at Shamwari. Dr. Joubert, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Michelle. No, that's a big pleasure. So, first of all, what, when we say that they were relocated and rewilded into a new home, explain what happened. Uh, well, obviously, first we had to translocate them. And, uh, you know, the translocation, it's, a, it's, it's quite a big process. Um, all the birds had to ex- be examined before, like veterinary checks on them. It was uh, done by a lot of uh, uh, individual wildlife vets. Uh, Honest to poor, the lecturers there assisted with it. We had to build all these crates uh, that was that was done by Rewild Africa. And then uh, the, the journey, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But it was a big project. But what I have to explain up front or first, the birds that's relocated now is basically uh, there's two groups. The one is birds that's permanently crippled, and these birds can't survive in the wild and they cannot be released. But they are our breeding stock, and very important, they would have been dead in the wild if we didn't uh, sort of rescue them. And just to put them in, in, in big ovaries is not is not what we want, but we designed the ovaries in such a way that they can breed and then the offspring get released. So the birds that came to Shamwari recently was basically the breeding stock plus the chicks of last year. They're sub-adults now, and from April, these birds would be released in the wild. Wow. And we make, yeah, we make very sure that they're not human imprinted. So uh, they, they, uh, once, they, once uh, the, the, the females produce eggs in these enclosures uh, to prevent like breakages of eggs, and so the eggs go in the incubator, uh, the female would sit on a on a dummy egg, and as soon as the chick is hatched, it go back to the female that they raise the chicks, and there's no human in, uh, imprinting of. What is uh, human, human? I mean, I pretty much get what human imprinting probably means, but 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 in order to uh, ensure that there's no human imprinting, what does that mean? Yeah, it's very important that they don't associate with human, because yeah. then they're going to be dependent on human. So the yeah. adults must must feed them. And the adults must teach them how to eat on their own. And only when that process is done and they're big enough, then they would be released. So, Dr. Joubert, I'm trying to imagine how one does relocate uh, birds. I mean, you mentioned those crates, and they're big birds. I mean, we're not talking about a whole bunch of sparrows. They're big birds. Um, how do they go? Do you, do you dart them and then they go to sleep, but they can't lie down because then I imagine then they can't breathe? So how do you yeah. do this? Yeah, fortunately, it was a, 
it, we didn't have to dart them. You know, yeah. Birds are quite sensitive to these drugs. Yeah. The first place, these crates had to be designed very carefully that it's suitable. So so only one bird go in a crate. Yeah. So, and that's why we need these big trucks, because the crates need to be well ventilated. Uh, but then the process of catching these birds. So fortunately, Valpro and Arabia, they're very used to work with the birds. And the birds had to be almost like pushed into a corner of the enclosure. Fortunately, they're a bit clumsy. So once they're on the ground, then uh, we, we catch them in a specific way. Have a, another quick vet check to make sure that the birds are healthy and strong enough to go in the crate. And then very important, we have to make very sure that it's well ventilated and the heat that they don't, they don't get heat stress or overheated because that can be fatal for the birds. Uh, and, how do you stop them? The, how do you yeah. stop them from being stressed? Firstly, crates must be, as I said, well ventilated, fairly dark. They can see a little bit, yeah. fairly dark, and then we stack them in such a way that they're close to each other. They're aware of each other in the trucks. But uh, and it's also the crates are not too big that they can try and fly inside. You know, so they mm. just sit very comfortably in with a little mat underneath that they feel comfortable in these crates. Yeah. We do have to, Dr. Hubert, we have to go to a break. But when we come back from the break, I've got a couple of questions uh, sure. with regards to the vultures. Sure. The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. Seven twenty-one. You with SFM one hundred four to one hundred seven. How's it, I'm Michelle. We're chatting to Dr. Johan Bear, who's a vet and head of wildlife at Shamari Game Reserve in the Eastern Cape. And what we've seen is that uh, over one hundred and sixty Cape and African white-backed vultures have been relocated and resettled into their new home. It took uh, about eighteen hours to get all the or eighteen uh, one hundred and sixty. Uh, eighteen. Hmm. Let me just get that one right. It took 160 birds to get loaded in just three hours. And they had DHL, which made me think, okay, that's interesting, providing the transport. Dr. Hubert, I've seen videos of storks where they, you you know, you spoke about the vultures and the eggs, the the, the parents on the eggs. I've seen videos Uh of storks where they choose the weakest bird out of the uh, ones, the, 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 the youngsters that they are breeding. And they toss it out of the nest uh, so that the strong ones can survive. Do vultures do this or do vultures operate in a different way? No, it's a little bit different. We did that with, uh, with, the, with the large eagles as well. You know, really? With, uh, the, yeah. We, and, and that with the large eagles, actually the bigger chick killed the, the second chick. So it's survival of the fittest. But in this case, in vultures, uh, they actually produce only one egg. Oh. And uh, yeah, so one egg and they look after them carefully. Now, to get back to that whole thing of survival of the fittest and the strong birds must must be able to breed. The whole system of, of Valpro is that vultures get collected, uh, you know, injured birds all over the country. So yeah. they come from a very wide range. And then, uh, so there's no genetic bottleneck. But once we breed with the birds, all the chicks would get uh, get released. So there's not parent stock that's going to make up with the youngsters. And that, that way we ensure that the genetic... Uh, composition of of these birds stay sound, so uh, almost like uh, a very easy way of of getting things done. Yeah. But but there's not the system where the bigger chick will give a smaller one or something like that. So when you, I mean, you've got a whole bunch of different breeding pairs. I mean, leopard faced, white headed, hooded. Do they breed with one another, or do they only breed within their um, what would you call a genre? Yeah, no, they only species together. And so what we do is like in the wild, you normally get that the white backs are together 
the Cape vultures normally sit at this big breeding cliffs and uh, they roost there or they breed there. So the, the species only breed with, a, with, with one of their kind. Okay. We allow them to pick the mates, uh, you know, uh, as they wish, and then they, they basically mate for, for life or until one of these pairs oh, wow. would die. Yeah. But, yeah. but we almost try and mimic the breeding system in, in these very large enclosures. So in the Cape Vulture enclosure, for instance, we build a massive, massive artificial rock cliff yeah. with ledges. And, and straight away when we released them, they were onto these ledges and some <laughs> of the pairs were already sitting together. And hopefully quite soon they'll start nesting there. Oh, that's amazing. Dr. Joubert, uh, I, I once, once saw a documentary about that one of the challenges for vultures is, of course, um, when the bones themselves are not healthy and the animals themselves are not healthy. I imagine that these are some of the issues that you're having to work with as well. Yeah, we have to look at biosecurity, uh, you know, for the birds as well. So make sure that we that they live as hygienic as possible. We all, always think vultures are dirty birds, but they're actually not. They prefer fresh meat. So uh, so we have to look at that. But but if you look at the biology of vulture, it's actually very interesting. The, the pH of the stomach is extremely low. It's yeah. almost as low as battery acid, much lower than any other uh, uh, sort of gastric juices in other animals. And the reason for that is because they do feed on animals that died. There might be harmful pathogens like tuberculosis or so, but they wouldn't contract it because that very low pH would kill their germs in the stomach. Uh, but the other issues that we have to look at is like the, after they eat them, they, there's a little swimming pool where they drink water. That water needs to be clean, cleaned yeah. on a regular basis because they go and clean and pass it there. So we have to contribute a little bit because they're in captivity, make sure pathogens don't build up. But uh, they're very hardy. They're very strong birds, actually. We look forward to seeing them grow from strength to strength. And uh, we look forward to you securing the future, of course, of, of the wild vulture population. Dr. Johan Joubert, um you sound to me like you're a rugby fan. <laughs> In my younger days, I played and I definitely support the Springboks, right? Okay, so I have a question for you. Do you think that in order to be a coach for example, of a rugby team, the coach should have played rugby? Well, I definitely think so. I didn't fly like a vulture, but I definitely think the coach, well, he's got a much better chance if he played himself, especially amongst the forwards, eh, where things go a bit rough. Okay. So you're saying, yes, they should actually um, have played the game themselves. I agree with that, yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. How about that? <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Johan Joubert, thank you so much for joining us. We uh, look forward to hearing more from this story. Johan Joubert is a vet and head of wildlife at Shamwari. The Jet Set Breakfast. Music, culture, lively and critical.